Welcome to another installment of Scientifically Sound, So Profound. How's everybody doing? Welcome to my podcast. I'll make sure that the fun will last round from the south. Bet you didn't know your host had vocals. How's everyone doing? It is a scorching, scorching summer. Don't you agree? I believe we are all learning a great lesson in what a tan line is and what a burn line is. If this is your first time listening to Scientifically Sound, welcome. I'm happy that you're here. Kick off your shoes, maybe brew some tea or some coffee, or have ice cream depending on what time you're listening to this. And let's experience the love of music, history, and science that I have together. The month July is a very interesting month for me, being that I always have my thesis committee for my PhD, mainly trying to get to the defense stage. And for many of you, you know how this goes. You try to show off, you try to show all the data you're collecting, and you try to just please the committee so they can say the following words, begin writing your dissertation, or enough talk, go ahead and defend, you're already a doctor. Oh, if only, right? My goal for my committee meeting was to gauge the room towards a date for my PhD completion and ultimately my thesis defense. And I mainly was pushing March, one, cause it's my birthday month, two, March is just so wonderful. Shout out to all people who were born in March. Y'all know who you are. In terms of the fact of getting to that point, a lot of them agreed it all depends on my manuscript that i'm working on right now which i can't wait to put out hopefully at the end of the year or the beginning of next year and it all is based on that and my extensiveness and effectiveness with the research that i'm doing thus far and i'm pushing myself forward in all aspects when it comes to my research it's funny actually my pi when i first started discussing about his time as a PhD graduate student and ultimately was discussing with me that all of his stuff did not come together for a paper 
until six months before his defense date. So six months from March, how far is that? So October, I need everything to get together by October. Cool, cool. But I also need to make sure that I rest. I know I do a terrible job of resting. Maybe this is the wake up call for you to check how you're resting with your work, regardless of if you're in a lab or not. The first step, admitting it. Other tips that I've picked up on as I'm researching is one, always be extra. Now, you can take this a number of ways. I'm already extra as I dance in lab, karaoke in lab, do the absolute most, as I've already stated in my introduction. This can also apply to your own lab work. For me, I've always been a person that doesn't want to generate too much, whether it's lysate, whether it's a lot of cells, and now that I'm at a point when I'm cleaning up data and trying to make it as pristine as possible, sometimes you should go that extra mile and just have another duplicate of your experiment just so that you have more to work with and clean up so you get that beautiful figure in that paper. The other tip that I've gained from this came from a wonderful mentor of mine, Dr. Danielle Watt, and it was during 2021 as I was going through my fourth year into my fifth year and it was start writing your results now you never have to wait till your results are all in to start writing and I've had way more fun writing my results and getting edits back little by little than writing a huge report and getting a bunch of red back and getting discouraged so the hope is that with little by little getting edited and ultimately getting to a paper that is perfect we should be able to submit in no time now, while I'm working out the kinks with my thesis project, I've also been working with this wonderful organization called ComSciCon. It's a play on Comic-Con. And if you remember from last year, I was a participant in this particular workshop that focuses in on science communication. And this year, I actually get to play a role in the programming committee. And we're all headed to Boston next week. I'm so excited to meet everyone all the organizers and the participants that we get to see. And we all get to blossom a little bit more as the science communicators that we wanna be. And if I'm honest with you all, I was stretched a bit being in a role that put together a workshop for disability and inclusive accessibility in STEM, something that I'm not really familiar with. Now this workshop that me along with a friend named Elena Lynn put together, we invited this wonderful advocate for disabled in STEM named Dr. Gabby Marks. And as we were getting this workshop together, we would have a lot of conversation around how disability is seen. And most of the time people will see it as something that can only be physically seen and not take into consideration about the mental disabilities that occur or even the physical disabilities that you don't see. And it was then, as I was talking with her, where a lot of these things can have an impact on people in STEM or people who want to get into STEM. For her story, Dr. Marks deals with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is more of a chronic pain physical disability. And yet she's been able to achieve a PhD in marine geology and geophysics where she was researching a lot of rainfall changes in Mexico, looking at stalagmites, a lot of work in caves, which is outstanding. And within the pain and the wallows, as well as the triumphs that she had in her career thus far, she is pushing to stop the stigma 
for disabled people to not be able to be a part of STEM. And it's very inspiring. Lastly, I just gotta say this. Thank you so much, Scientifically Sound family, for honestly surprising me. For some of you, and maybe you all will learn this now, I'm a very shy person when it comes to putting myself out there. And it's definitely not changing, especially since I put out the Scientifically Sound shirt. Thank you to you all that picked up one, purchased one, got it for your friend, because I've received many pictures of all of you just wearing the shirt. It's a great shirt. It works well outside of the lab coat, in the lab coat. So if you haven't got one, pick yourself up one today by going to scientificallysound.net. Now let's get into some science. This one's for all the thrill seekers out there. Come with me and Freddie Hubbard as we skydive into some science. Scientifically sound. Let's get into it. Oh, it is the thrills that we are seeking in science stories today, folks. For me, it's the fear of it all. For some of you, you get your cheap thrills from just zip lining across the Grand Canyon or over the Amazon rainforest. For others of you, you get your thrills and get your heart pumping by going on safaris to look for the lions. And for some of you, not only do you have thrills, you get exercise in it too. Where you go rock climbing with no harness. But I don't think any of that compares to what I'm talking about today, which is skydiving, where you literally yeet. And for those who don't know what yeet means, ask your kids, ask your grandkids. You're just jumping out of a plane with a parachute. And sometimes you might be paired with someone that is a professional, but skydiving just scares me so much. Whether it's the rushing of air that goes through my ears, or whether it's just the fear of a parachute failing. And yet, it's absolutely beautiful to see, to be honest, on YouTube. You all should go on YouTube and look at 2015's record-breaking skydiver formation, where 164 skydivers were able to get together and hold to each other in just under 75 seconds. There's even a crazier one back in 2017 where 217 skydivers get together. We can't even organize a Zoom meeting, and yet there are people out here calling hundreds of people to jump out of planes and get in formation, or to Beyonce, get Renaissance. Now, before all these outrageous formations came into being, there always had to be like a first record. And that first record was in 1972. This record will be set at Skydive Paris. This is in Orange County, California. Shout out to the Californians out there. Where 24 men and women got together to make a star formation and get it recorded. And this was such a big event that the picture that they took of the star formation became the front page cover of Life Magazine. So how do you even capture just the beauty of it all in a song? Well, at this same time, the wonderful trumpeter Freddie Hubbard seemed to have given answer to this. 
You see, Freddie Hubbard was just coming off of the cuff of his Grammy award-winning album, First Light, where he introduced funky electric vibes like this. And with wonderful vibes like that, Freddie Hubbard just had to pick up that 1972 Life magazine and get recording on a new album that would eventually be called Skydive, which led to vibes and sounds like this. A beautiful piece for such a scary thing to do. Which now begs the question, what science is even in play in skydiving? Well, besides adrenaline, because I don't know about you, if I have to fly up about 13,000 to 15,000 feet just to jump out of a plane, my adrenaline's gonna be pumping anyway. But even more so, there's physics in play. As you soar across the sky and see the heights and wind rushing into your face and you try to smile for the picture, it may feel like that you're accelerating faster and faster towards Earth and as gravity plays its role, right? But you will reach a point where you cannot accelerate anymore. You actually reach a point called terminal velocity. Terminal velocity is the max velocity for anything or anyone that's attainable as it falls through a medium or fluid. In this case, our medium is air. Now, terminal velocity is a very complicated equation, so I won't go into the nitty gritty details of how the equation is set up, but here's some key things to take away from this. It takes into account a number of different details, such as the mass of the object, which for us, we are the object or we are the person going through air. So how much you are made up of you plays a role. The area of the object, how much you cover as you're flailing outside of an airplane, that plays a role. The other thing is the density of the fluid. In this case, how dense is the air as you're falling through? The next to final thing to consider for your terminal velocity is the acceleration of gravity. And lastly, a value that is called the drag coefficient, which relates to your aerodynamic nature as you move through a fluid, in this case, air. And mainly, it's related to the air resistance that you face as you're falling through the air. So much so that it reaches to a point of opposing gravity's pull. So it actually feels like you're slowing down as you're falling. A better way of understanding drag is kind of like the bungee run at the state fair. You know, you get in, you put on your vest, and there's a bungee cord tied to the back of you. And the entire point of that whole station is for you to run forward with force as far as you can until you reach a point when you can't anymore because the force that you're exerting is being given back to you by that bungee cord rope and until you fall backwards and ultimately faceplant. And while there's a wide range of terminal velocities out there with our general population based on how we're built, 
A human can only get up to between 200 kilometers per hour as their terminal velocity. That's about 120 miles per hour, give or take. So it won't beat a Bugatti, but it's just enough to beat my 1996 Toyota Corolla. To end the episode today, and in honor of Disability Pride Month, I want to highlight a scientist that is disabled, whose overall journey just signifies scientifically sound. The scientist's name is Dr. Wanda Diaz-Merced, who is an astrophysicist, astronomer, and computer scientist that is blind. I came to know about Dr. Diaz-Merced from my time recruiting for Abercams. Abercams is the annual biomedical research conference for minority students. And she was actually giving the opening lecture. And she walked in, and this is a big stage, y'all. She walked in and was already cracking jokes with us to be like, all right, y'all won't let me fall now. And I was just like, it's the confidence for me. But her story begins in Gurabo, Puerto Rico. And as she was growing up, she would play along with her sister as if they were space travelers exploring distant galaxies out there in space. It is with this imagination that drove her to math and science and overall winning science fairs and getting into physics in college at the University of Puerto Rico. Unfortunately, when she would reach her 20s, she would be diagnosed with degenerative diabetic retinopathy which led to her loss of sight. However, she developed tenacity and completed her bachelor's of science in physics at the University of Puerto Rico. During this time, she speaks to a friend that put her on essentially to a NASA outreach project that was looking into sunburst. In particular, how a sunburst can sound using a method called sonification. Sonification is essentially perceptualizing your data with the use of audio. And it is with this audio that allows for scientists to catch subtleties in data amongst the background that they receive in their experiment. For example, this is the sound of our sun as it blazes through the day. It is with sounds like these that led Dr. Wanda Merced to secure an internship at the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland, where she worked with Mr. Robert Candy, where they developed prototype software in order to use sound to analyze astronomical data. And this experience was built upon by her as she attended the University of Glasgow and achieved the PhD in 2013 in computer science, where she improved upon sonification software that can be used in tandem with what you see visually as you explore the cosmos. Now she travels across the world, going to different observatories to conduct research as far as Japan to South Africa, and even did a collaboration with, between Harvard and Europe's gravitational observatory. Amidst all of these wonderful things, she also took the time to drop some heat in collaboration with Volkmar Star Trekker and Gerard Sonner in order to create an album out of x-rays that were being emitted by a binary star system in the constellation of Hydra. You see what she did? She took 
a computer program called Exonify that would take the X-rays emission and convert them into a sequence of tones. Those sequence of tones would then be sent to Gerard Sarnart to be able to start the composition of music with the help of composer Volkmar Studtrucker. And they overall came up with nine tunes. Here is the X-ray sequence that led to the overall composition Bosa, number one in this album. And here's the complete composition. Definitely some bistro lounge music right here, and it all came from Dr. Diaz Merced's work. That's our episode, everyone. I've been Ralph from the South. Thank you so much for listening to Scientifically Sound. If you want to hang with us on the socials, you can go on Instagram at scientifically sound, all one word, on Twitter for the number four, the sci underscore sound, and find us on TikTok at scientifically sound, all one word. You can also email us at for the scientifically sound at gmail.com and check out our website, scientificallysound.net. Well, everyone, it's been fun. I'll catch you on the next episode after I come back from ComSciCon. And whether you're flying up in the air, skydiving in the air, going up to space to hear some notes from some stars, remember, sometimes it's nice to be grounded and to chill out. See ya!